I know a lot of you from psychology class, from sexuality class, but a lot of you I don't know because I'm an adjunct professor here. Do you know what adjunct professor means? Practically, it means part-time professor, but literally, when you look at the root word, the word adjunct means unnecessary. I'm an <laughs> unnecessary professor. I love that. I just think that's hilarious. That's kind of odd. But that does mean that I live in some different universes. I work in different universes. This is one of the universes where I work. I love this universe and when I get to be here. I also have a universe at my home church. I'm on a preaching team there. I'm on a worship team there. I rotate through those different teams and I love that. I also am the director of Mount Hope Counseling. We'll get into more of that later on. My wife uh, also lives in different universes. She co-teaches with me in the sexuality classes. She teaches speech. And uh, last year, last Christmas, she directed the musical Elf here, which was a blast. A few of you got, did anybody get to see that? And raise your hand if you got to see Okay, cool, cool. Um, that has turned into a, a, a point of ministry for us. And we both share the same interest. And we go around to different theaters. It's turned into our point of contact with people who are not yet of faith. Everybody needs a point of contact with people who are not yet of faith. But I work in a Christian counseling center, I teach at, you know, it, it, we had to look for that universe and we go to Joplin Little Theater, we've directed and performed there, Stone's Throw, Stained Glass. But as I was thinking of some of my different roles that I've played, I, I noticed a theme, kind of a pattern. So I was in Elf last year and I got to play Elf's dad. He is the guy in New York City, he is the overly harsh, disengaged father. He is the jerk dad. Now, a couple of years ago, we did Sound of Music on this stage. I was Captain Von Trapp. He was an overly harsh, disengaged father. A jerk dad. We uh, did Mary Poppins just a couple of years ago. And let me mention, by the way, that our very own Beth DeFazio played Mary Poppins... And she was practically perfect in every way. She was fantastic. But I got to play Mr. Banks, who was an overly harsh, disengaged father. He was a jerk dad. Uh, Pittsburgh did Newsies two years ago, and they asked me to come and play Mr. Pulitzer, who was an overly harsh, disengaged father, a jerk dad. And then... Two years ago on this stage, we did A Christmas Story, and I got to play Scrooge, and he had no children, but he did have a nephew, so I was an overly harsh, disengaged uncle. That was quite an artistic stretch for me. That was... There is this universal archetype right now in our culture at this time in history of an overly harsh, disengaged Father, and sometimes that bleeds over into people's expectations for their heavenly father because they've only seen fathers depicted in stories or in real life that were overly harsh, disengaged jerks. I want to begin this part of our series that's going to cover some really difficult topics with some foundational truths. And make no mistake, our Father is a good, good Father. As we study these topics, and as we study uh, this week mental health, and next week also mental health, as we look at sexual brokenness, sexual identity, as we look at racism, and all these tough issues, as we're studying all of that, do not get confused. And if you ever do wonder whether or not God is a good, good Father, recheck your math. <laughs> 
because I know that's the, did I make a math analogy at Ozark Christian College? I don't know that that's a good idea. But the, the math always points to a good, good father. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 10, but you, O oh God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. We have a good, good father. Now let's dive into this week's tough topic, mental health. We're talking about depression and anxiety. Actually, this is too broad to cover it all, so I'll focus in on depression and anxiety. And if you ever struggle with any of that, you are not alone. Over 25 million adults in the United States struggle with it. Of those who have depression and anxiety, 65% will never get the treatment they need. That hurts my heart. It really hurts my heart. 50% of all women, one out of three men, struggle with depression or anxiety on a regular basis. 28% of those in the church report having depression, and that's only those who are reporting that. It's the second most common reason people come to my counseling center, Mount Hope. The number one reason is relationship struggles, and there's plenty of that going on too. Notable believers who struggled with depression and anxiety and have talked about it openly. C.S. Lewis, in his writings, talks about his ups, talks about his downs, and, and staying in those for quite some time. Martin Luther wrote about it, Florton's Nightingale, Joyce Meyer, Pope Francis, Charles Spurgeon, and Mother Teresa in her diaries um, after she passed away. It was just so obvious, and she talked about the dark, dark Times, notable celebrities who struggle with depression and anxiety and talk about it freely. The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, Stephen Gobert, J.K. Rowling of Harry Potter fame, Dak Prescott, uh, the uh, uh, Dallas Cowboy, Bruce Springsteen, Adele. These are people that have been very open about their struggles with depression and anxiety. There are a lot of people of faith that have struggled with depression and anxiety. You can see it in everything Elijah wrote, Hannah, uh, the Apostle Paul, who in 2 Corinthians said, we despaired of life itself. The prophet Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, the prophet Jonah, King David, who in the book of Psalms said, darkness is my closest friend. People of great faith in scripture were very open about their emotional challenges. But something in our modern Christian ethic is deviated from that. We avoid talking about it. But simply avoiding the topic, as a lot of churches do, is not a solution. Rhett Smith, in his book, The Anxious Christian, said this, the secrecy and the shame are not helping. Anxiety and depression are very real issues in the Christian community, and it's time we learn to talk more openly about them and how to care for those who suffer from them. So today, I want to share three things, three myths that I believe the church has to get straight. These are three things, if we're gonna cover this topic, if we're gonna reach out to hurting people, if we're gonna have it in our health to even help ourselves, we've got to set these three myths straight. Here's myth number one. Good Christians are always happy and successful. You know that's a myth, let's cross that out. There are foolish people that preach a prosperity gospel, a health and wealth gospel that is not a gospel, it's not good news, and it just isn't true. They say, 
If you come to Jesus, your body will always be strong, your wallet will always be full, your every effort will meet success, and you'll always be perfectly happy and successful in every way. And you already know the danger of that gospel because anyone who struggles, and we all do sometimes, or gets sick, and we all do sometimes, or is not wealthy or is not perfectly successful, must be Lacking faith because good Christians are always happy and always successful. Jesus never promised that. If anything, he promised the opposite. Take a look at John chapter 16. In this world, you will have trouble. That sounds like a promise to me. In this world, you will have trouble. Things will go wrong. But then he says, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Not promising you won't have problems, promising he'll be there every step of the way. Things will go wrong, but it'll be all right. You know, the people that say good Christians never struggle, what do they they do with most of scripture? What do they do with passages that talk about suffering? And trials. What do they do with the martyrs? What do they do with the fact that 11 out of the 12 disciples were martyred? You see, coming to Christ will not erase all your problems. And the people that think it does, they think it very simplistically. They think it makes you happy, happy, happy all the time, time, time. But it's only one inch deep with a smiley face sticker on top to maintain that. It's kind of that uh, church foyer ethic of, how are you? Fine. How are you? Fine. I'm fine. You're fine. We're all fine. What are the odds that we'd all be fine? You know, what are the odds? Because it's not okay not to be fine. In some church cultures, it's a lack of faith not to be fine all the time, time, time. What about Jesus in the garden? Matthew 26, Jesus says, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful to the point of death. With our 2021 American church ethics, we walk up to Jesus and say... Hey, buddy, put a smile on that face. Yeah, yeah. where's your faith? Come on, where's your faith? You know how this is going to turn out? Jesus had all the faith. But it's okay to have a hard time when it's a hard time. Jesus was perfect and real and authentic. A better way to help hurting people is to quit inferring that they lack faith and just come alongside them. Romans 12, 15, you've heard it a million times, don't overlook it, let's take a better look. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Let me mention a a challenge, you guys are amazing, and you guys are cramming so much scripture and so much learning into your heads, and I love it, and it's exciting, you're going to change the world, but here's one temptation, when you're cramming that much into your head, there's just that dream, that wish, that every time you see a struggling person, you would be able to go up to them and have just the right thing to say to make it better. There's a temptation. And this verse says to rejoice with those who rejoice. But guess what? What do you do with those who weep? You go up to them and you go through your Rolodex and you have exactly the right thing to say. No. This verse says you go there and you sit by them. And maybe you sit there long enough and you listen that maybe a tear starts to come out of your eye. And maybe that's the most powerful thing you can do. 
got a PhD in this, okay? But I have people that come to me and, and we're talking, we're sharing. Well, I've had people that, you know, after it's all, all said and done, and there was a woman who had accidentally run over her own son, two-year-old son, who had climbed out of the car seat while she was getting her purse. Just, you know, wonderful mom, but she's just, and, and we're talking, we're sharing, and, and I see her years later, and she comes up to me, and she says, you know what was the most meaningful to me? Of course, my mind rolodexes through the brilliant strategies and all the amazing things, you know. No, uh, she said it was uh, when the room just got quiet. And we just sat there. And I looked up, and I saw a tear in your eye. You know, part of me goes, dang it, I spent a lot of money on that PhD, you know, it's like, a... but you know, don't discount the power of that verse. Um, weep with those who weep. Proverbs 25, this speaks into it in a beautiful way, and you have to read it a couple of times to get it. Proverbs 25, 20, like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on a wound, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Let's unpack that. So here's somebody with a heavy heart, and I go up to them, and I want to sing songs to them. I want to cheer them up. And I want to say, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. You're not clapping, you know, and I, you, you kind of want to cheer them up. And you're singing songs to a heavy heart. Guess what that's like? He says, that's like going up to somebody who's outside in the cold and taking away their coat. You just made it worse. Or it's like pouring vinegar on a wound. That's not hydrogen peroxide. That's not making it better. You may be infecting it. You're making it worse. If we go and try to cheer somebody up, put a smile on that face, or try to see all the right, try to fix it fast. Making it worse. Words of pain and sorrow, times of depression and anxiety, they don't contradict faith. In fact, they underline it. Even if you struggle with depression or anxiety and you choose to keep your hand in God's hand, that is a beautiful journey as God is a very present help every step of the way. And he may not snap his fingers and make it all better, but oh my gosh, he makes it better. And that may be even more beautiful. Myth number two, struggling with depression and anxiety is a sin problem. You know that's not right, let's cross that out. Struggling with depression and anxiety is not a sin problem. And first, let me step back and say, well, everything that's wrong in the world is a sin problem. I get that, we're in a broken world, sin broke the world, I get it, okay? That's in general, but in specific, it can be a very, very big mistake to go up to a specific situation and say, this is because of sin. Let's take a look at John 9, John 9. As Jesus goes along, he sees a man blind from birth, and his disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents that he was born blind? This is a terrible thing. Born blind, never got to see, ever, at all. And so somebody had to sin, parents, or the person, whatever. And Jesus quickly says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. That's not the point says Jesus, but this happened so the works of God might be displayed in him as long as it's day. We must do the works of him who sent me. Jesus says, that is not the point. Now, 
Don't misunderstand. God's going to do amazing things. God's going to redeem this. He's going to work it all together for good. He can do that. But do not blame this struggle, this challenge on sin. That is not the point. Some of the harshest rebukes in Scripture go to Job's accusers who said he was suffering because of his own sin and his own unwillingness to give everything to God. Harsh rebukes from God. Now, some people don't blame it on sin. They just blame it on lack of faith. And you know that there are rogue churches that teach that you lack faith if you seek a doctor's help. It's kind of ridiculous. There are rogue churches that say if you go to a doctor for cancer, that's a lack of faith. If you go to a doctor for COVID, it's a lack of faith. If you go to a doctor for depression, it's a lack of faith. In John 9, Jesus, at the end of the story, heals this blind man. But he met a lot of other blind men, and there were a lot more blind men in the world. He didn't heal them all, but he always blessed and strengthened and enriched and saved, but didn't always heal the blindness. When you walk a journey of faith with Christ, who will help with every struggle but does not eliminate every struggle, it actually may be a much more beautiful thing. Let me throw this in too. Medicine is not evil or a lack of faith. And you know there are rogue religious groups that firmly believe all medicine is evil. It's a sign that you lack faith. If you're taking high blood pressure medicine, that's a lack of faith. If you're taking cancer treatments, that's a lack of faith. If you're taking a mild antidepressant, that's a lack of faith. And friends, those people are sadly mistaken. Using breath, best practice health care does not make you less faithful. You're full of faith and you can take medication. In fact, it's kind of a responsible thing to do. Myth number three. Scripture condemns anyone who is down or afraid. You know that's not true. God always has comforting words for people who are trying but struggling. I love the passage where a struggler says to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I relate to that. Maybe you do too. There are times where I have faith that there are times where I go, help my unbelief. And God is so, so gentle with people. There are a lot of passages with phrases like, fear not, or don't be afraid, or be anxious for nothing. And let me say that I have actually heard guilt-based sermons that take those passages and they say, fear not, fear not, fear, and then they do not be anxious for anything. And they're, they're pointing that as a, a, as a condemning thing, they're, as if God was condemning us, God is comforting us with those words. Every time an angel appears or Jesus appears in their glory, they almost always lead with, don't be afraid. And I don't think it was, don't be afraid. I think it was, hey, 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 you know, here I am with all this glory, you know, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, it's all right, it's all right, it's all right. There's a gentle voice, it's all in the, uh, it's all in the tone of voice. It, it's almost as if people compare God to a pit bull. Let's imagine that your uncle has just gotten a brand new pit bull. It's a huge, ferocious dog. Nothing against, you know, if you've got one. Okay, so you're coming to your uncle's house and you go in the front gate of his yard and you're halfway to the front door and you hear, and he comes running around and it stops three feet away from you and just stands there growling, dripping saliva and your uncle opens the door, kind of cracks the door open and goes, hey, forgot to tell you, I got a dog. You go, I noticed, okay, you know, and here I am. You're standing there, and he says, it's all right, you're going to be fine. Just don't show that you're afraid, because if you show any fear at all, he'll rip your throat out. And it's almost like some people are saying that's who my God is. That here's this God who, uh, 
if you show any fear, if you show any anxiety, he'll rip your throat out. This is the God who is a friend of a wounded heart. Isaiah 42, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. I love that. I love that. I imagine this little candle that's just about to go out and the wind's blowing and he holds his hands around that because sometimes that's me and he would not let that go out. This is that God. He is a good, good father, an ever-present help in trouble, the helper of the fatherless. There was a song on the radio a couple of years ago. I found a lot of comfort. I, I loved it. You may have missed it, but it was called Sometimes He Calms the Storm. Sometimes he calms the storm with a whisper, peace be still. He can settle any sea, but it doesn't mean he will. Sometimes he holds us close and lets the wind and waves go wild. Sometimes he calms the storm and other times he calms his child. Depression and anxiety are kind of like a storm. And we can't control the weather. God can, but he doesn't always. He's got people praying for a clear day and farmers praying for rain. And sometimes he just lets the storms come. We can't control the weather, but we can control how we respond, especially to the severity of the weather. Sometimes we need to seek refuge from the storm, just go inside and huddle up. Sometimes we need to take a little cover with us as we journey, an umbrella, your least favorite textbook, blocking the rain. Sometimes you need to just dance in the rain. You can't always, but when you can, why not? But sometimes you just go out there and sit in silence. And you wait for somebody to come up beside you and sit in silence. And long enough just to weep a little with you with no judgment, and God holds you both close. You don't have to raise your hand, but I am gonna ask, so, yeah, no problem if you'd rather not. How many of you have a close friend who struggles with depression or anxiety? Okay. Again, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you have a family member that struggles with depression or anxiety? And um, again, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you struggle with depression or anxiety? Fair. We're all in this together. There is a lot more to say on this subject. And because of that, next week in chapel, we'll have a, a panel up here that will talk about mental health issues, depression, anxiety. They'll answer questions. Let me just say this. OCC wants to help. I know that. And uh, there are people that will listen and care on this campus. And I know the Garrises are amazing. Uh, Andy Storms has kind of created a, a protocol for people who need more counseling. And the school has some funds for that to get you started in that. You can talk to him or talk to the Garrises. But today, today, we lay a foundation. We begin creating a newer, healthier culture in church that allows us to talk about this, allows us to help hurting people, 
people that are questioning and struggling so we can all together encounter our good, good Father who will not snap his fingers and erase every challenge, but he will be a very real and present help in a million ways. We change the culture of the church starting now.